For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Der Show. Since uh, the time that um, Hamas invaded Israel and murdered 1,400 Israelis, Americans, and others, I've been speaking almost exclusively on this podcast about uh, what's happening in, in the Middle East, and it's getting worse and worse and worse, as I predicted, as literally as I predicted 25 years ago in a book I wrote called Why Terrorism Works and another book on the case for um, moral clarity. It's the Hamas playbook. Uh, they come, they murder Jews either through their tunnels, through their rockets, or through breaking through the fence. They know Israel will retaliate, so they put little children uh, in harm's way in front of their rockets or in front of their uh, command centers, and they know Israel will have to retaliate, and they know that there'll be some Palestinian children that will be collateral damage and die, and they parade the children out in front of the CNN cameras that willingly uh, show uh, the babies without saying that all of them are the blame, all their deaths are the fault of Hamas for using them as human shields and 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 creating this cycle. But um, so I've been talking about that. I wrote a book about it in the what it is, 22 weeks since this happened, two weeks and three or four days since it happened, uh, called The War on the, Against the Jews. That You can order it um, on um, Amazon, pre-order it. Uh, and I've been on lots of radio and television shows about it. But today, we're going back to Donald Trump um, because there's been a lot of news uh, involving uh, Donald Trump and uh, CNN and some of the other MSNBC have basically uh, said that as a result of the recent events, it's all over for Donald Trump. Uh, there's no doubt that the cases are strong and he'll be convicted. The most recent development um, is not a surprise to me. I've been doing this 60 years, is that Mark Meadows, who was the chief of staff to the president of the United States uh, through the last days of the administration, and generally was a loyal supporter of uh, President Trump, uh, apparently has now gotten an immunity deal and uh, has flipped and uh, will be testifying against him. In doing so, he will join uh, other uh, people who are closely associated uh, with Donald Trump, obviously Michael Cohen, uh, his lawyer for many, many, many years, uh, uh, Jana Ellis, who was one of his lawyers, um, in um, the attempt to undo uh, the election, Sidney Powell, another one of his uh, lawyers. Uh, and uh, there'll probably be um, more to come. Um, I suspect that of the 19 original defendants in the um, uh, Georgia case and of the uh, many non-named, non-indicted co-conspirators in the, in the Washington case, the government will be able to flip some of them. That's that's the way it is. Um, I, I recall about, it's probably now 30, 40 years ago, I was teaching a course called Ethics and Tactics in the Trial of Criminal Cases. And I would invite prominent prosecutors to come to my class and we would debate various issues like the exclusionary rule, things like that. And one of the people I invited on several occasions was Rudy Giuliani, who was then the United States Attorney 
for the Southern District of New York, perhaps the most important uh, U.S. attorney's office in the country. And I remember him going up to the blackboard and, and, and writing, uh, drawing a series of dominoes and each domino would, would fall and other dominoes would fall. And he said, that's the way I try complex cases involving organized crime or maybe even uh, uh, crimes involving commercial crimes with insider trading and things of that kind. You indict a whole bunch of people. You threaten them. You threaten their families. Uh, you tell them they're going to spend the rest of their lives in prison. They'll never see their grandchildren again. But if you join our team, if you become a cooperating witness, if you sing, you will get either a reduced sentence or no sentence at all. In these cases, they've gotten only a probationary sentence, a slap on the wrist, a small fine, and community and community service. Uh, the one thing I assure you is Donald Trump will not get community service. You just imagine if Donald Trump would have been sentenced to community service, what would it be? How would Donald Trump serve the community? Um, um, and, and, and what would he be willing to do um, it, it, it could become a sitcom, but it's not going to happen. I, I don't think it's, 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 it's of course possible, but so I've been doing this 60 years and I know the, I know the process fairly well. And I always tell my clients, uh, if you're indicted, you should assume your brother will testify against you. Your mother will testify against you. Your children will testify against you. There's no such thing when there are multiple potential defendants in a criminal case of such as loyalty. There's no loyalty. Uh, everybody puts their own interests first. Occasionally, occasionally you get somebody who's willing to stand up and, and, and take, take the, the fall. Um, you know, in, in big corporations, they say there's usually a vice president in charge of going to jail. He gets paid a lot of money and he's uh, the designated fall taker. Um, he's the person who says, no, I did it. I, I, no, I, no, my, my boss didn't know anything about it. I did it. All right. You're going to sentence me to five years. Don't worry. <laughs> my boss will make up for it by uh, taking good care of my family and giving me a pot of gold at the end of the, not the rainbow, but at the end of the, at the end of the prison term. And so in this case, uh, by, by, by charging all these people, 19 people with RICO, with mandatory prison terms, mandatory prison terms, if you're convicted of, of RICO, um, the pressure on them to cooperate and flip and plead guilty is, is very great. I mean, these people don't want to spend the rest of their lives in prison. And uh, Trump uh, has a way of not engendering loyalty uh, among people who work with him. Um, loyalty usually is something that goes both ways. And uh, Trump hasn't been loyal to some of his people and some of them haven't been loyal back. And, um, and so we get these people flipping. Now, uh, several years ago, it's now probably many years ago, I coined a phrase, a term, maybe others had used it before, but I was not aware of it. Um, I thought it was pretty clever that when you flip a witness, uh, often the witness will not only sing, but he will compose. Uh, he will create and make up stories and evidence that he knows the prosecution uh, would want. I had one, a case like that once. I had a case where my client, can't get specific about it because I don't want to identify my client now, now, now long gone, but I still don't want to identify him. He was indicted for a pretty serious uh, 
crime of uh, bribery. Um, and um, uh, he wanted a way out. And so he came to me and my co-counsel, and he said, um, I think I have a, a get-out-of-jail-free card. Uh, we said, sure, what is it? Well, I once paid a bribe to the mayor of the town, of the city. Wow, that's pretty good stuff, paying a bribe to the mayor of the city. Do you have evidence of it? He says, yeah, yeah, I do. He said, I had took a withdrawal. I opened up my, my, um, my, my box in the, in, in the bank um, uh, where I keep my, my cash, and you'll see there's a record of me opening, opening up that box um, the morning of a birthday party for the mayor. And at the birthday party for the mayor, I gave him a gift. And the gift was, I don't remember, $50,000 of, of, of cash and $100. Bills, do you have any further evidence other than the fact that you know he took money out of that box and there was a birthday party that day. No, but uh, but uh, this is a mayor who was known to have taken bribes and, and I'm, I'm telling the truth. So my co-lawyer and I really questioned him very, 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 very hard, very hard, as if we were cross-examining on the way to standard. The story fell apart and um, and he insisted. He said, I want, we want you to go to the, to the DA and the, and the U.S. attorney in that case and tell him that I'm prepared to testify against uh, the mayor if he's prepared to give me a get out of jail free card. And we said, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. You can get another lawyer, but we're not going to do it. Uh, we don't believe you. We don't believe you actually bribed this guy. We believe you made it up in order to try to get yourself out of jail. And it, it, it ended up that he, he finally acknowledged that it was not a true story. We eventually did win the case, but not on those grounds, on other grounds. Um, and so I know from personal experience that uh, flip witnesses make up stories, that people make up stories in order to become flip witnesses. Um, sometimes they don't make up the story. They just embellish it. They just make it a little bit better. They just do what they think the prosecution will want them uh, to do. And I have to tell you, I've seen cases where the prosecutors encourage it, where a person will tell a story to the prosecutor and the prosecutor will say, well, it doesn't make sense. Are you sure it happened that way? Maybe it happened this way. Well, it didn't make sense because it wasn't true, but the prosecutor wants it to be believed by the jury. And so uh, the prosecutor helps the story, helps it along. And judges know that, but judges often are willing to cover for, for prosecutors, um, you know, in, in a book I wrote many, many years ago, 19, I think, 82, uh, I, I entitled the chapter Black Robes, White Lies, um, because I know judges tell lies, accept lies, um, say they believe things that they know aren't true. That happens particularly when a policeman arrests people on drug de dealings and for some fortuitous reason, the drug dealer drop the drugs on the floor. It's called dropsy testimony. And we know it's often not the case, but a policeman will testify to it and the judge will pretend to believe. The policeman's telling the truth. The prosecutor will pretend to believe it, but they all know that it was a made-up story. The same cop has testified as to dropsy testimony three or four times in the past. And everybody knows. So, so what we're seeing here is a very typical prosecutorial approach to organized crime, to organized corruption, to uh, white collar crime, 
Um, and we're seeing it playing out in the in the Donald uh, Trump case by these these witnesses. Now, the problem, and it's interesting, I watched CNN very carefully yesterday, and I'd like to issue a challenge to them if they would listen. One of the CNN commentators observed what I had observed and what is very important that Mark Meadows said, I told Donald Trump repeatedly that he had lost the election. I told him he had lost the election. And that's important that he was told he lost the election. But the commentator said, but um, truthfully, that, but Meadows never said that Trump acknowledged it. Meadows never said that Trump admitted to him that he knew that he had lost the election and he was just lying about it. And that's absolutely critical. But the CNN commentator simply said, but others, but other witnesses have said that Trump admitted to them that he knew he had lost the election, he had lied. Here's my challenge. CNN, name one. Give me some evidence. I've been following this case pretty carefully. I don't believe it's true. I could be wrong. There could be some witness somewhere who has said that Trump told him, or I admit I, admit I lied. I don't believe it. Uh, Donald Trump thinks he won that election. And I don't believe he's ever told anybody that he knows he didn't win the election. But CNN stated that categorically yesterday through the mouth of one of its commentators. And uh, I'd like to see the evidence that backs it up and supports it because it's crucially important. As I've said before on the show and in my book, Get Trump, um, um, that the only way Trump can be validly prosecuted uh, in this case as I say, I put it in Get Trump, I've written it in op-eds, is if they can prove that Donald Trump subjectively actually knew he had lost the election and simply lied about it. And that's why he wanted to get alternate slates of electors. And that's why he wanted to bring these lawsuits. But unless they can prove that, unless they can prove that he had actual knowledge, that he confessed to somebody that he knew he had lost the election, I don't think a conviction would be sustained on appeal. Now, you never know because the appellate judges sometimes can be very partisan too, but I'll put it this way, shouldn't be sustained on appeal. The criteria for conviction of these crimes has to be subjective personal knowledge that he absolutely and categorically knew and told others that he had lost the election. It's not a reasonable person standard. It's not could a reasonable person actually believe that he lost it. But even under a reasonable person standard, you have, you know, how many millions of Americans believe it? They're all wrong, I think. Uh, yeah, I've seen 2,000 mules and I've read all and I'm going to get letters from all of you people saying, oh, you haven't looked at the evidence. No, I've looked at the evidence. And I think a reasonable person cannot believe that uh, Donald Trump won the election. I don't believe that. But I do believe that Donald Trump believed that. And I often wondered about Mark Meadows, whether he believed it. But Mark Meadows now says, no, he didn't. He didn't uh, believe it. And, and he told Donald Trump that he didn't believe it. Now, he has said, somewhat different things previously in what he wrote and what he spoke. So we'll see how the jury assesses his, his credibility. But so far, 
um, of the people who have flipped, again, uh, Jenna Ellis, uh, Mark Meadows, Sidney Powell, Michael Cohen, there may be a couple more as well, but those four, I don't believe any of them have testified under oath or will testify under oath credibly that Donald Trump said to them, oh, I, I know I lost the election. I'm just making the whole thing up just to try to uh, pull off a coup d'etat. I know that Donald Trump uh, lost the election, but 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 I'm going to say I won the election. I don't believe there's any such evidence, notwithstanding what CNN said. And I have a shirt that my wife got me. Uh, is it true or did you hear it on CNN? Well, I heard it on CNN yesterday, about this time of the day yesterday. I don't remember who it was that said it. It was a woman. Um, and she said, oh, but of course, others have testified that he told them that that he knew the election was false. Who? Who? Not Jared Kushner. He testified to the opposite. Not Mark Meadows. He has apparently said the opposite. So who is it? CNN? Who is it? Are you lying to us? Are you making a mistake? You know, that's also the basis for a potential lawsuit. I'm suing CNN, as you know. But uh, Donald Trump could sue CNN as well. If it's false, if they stated falsely that others have testified that Donald Trump himself said, you know, that happened to me. Um, some some very hard left Israeli commentator on a radio show said, Dershowitz admitted, admitted that he had sex with an underage person. Admitted. I sued him and I won. Um, and uh, of course, because I never said that, it didn't happen. How could I have ever said it if it didn't happen? It wasn't true. But he said that, and I sued him, and I won. And that is a proper basis for a lawsuit. If you say somebody confessed to something when they didn't confess to it, that's defamation, and that's defamation with substantial damages. So I would hope that the Trump people, or maybe some of my listeners and viewers, could look it up and see who it was. It was around five o'clock um, on CNN, and it was a woman uh, who just in passing said, of course, others said that he admitted that uh, he knew it was, it, he knew the election was lost. I want to know who that is, and I want to know how CNN can defend it and whether others have called them on it. I just don't know what the answer is. Look, as you know, not a Trump supporter politically, not a Republican politically, don't like the guy who just got elected uh, Speaker of the House, don't like the fact that he thought the election uh, was stolen. Um, I'm, a, I'm a centrist liberal Democrat, but I put my constitutionalism and truth before any of my partisan uh, considerations. And, and so I've lost lots of friends, lots of friends over what they think is my support for uh, Donald Trump. Uh, some of them are too stupid uh, to understand the difference between defending a person's constitutional rights as I have defended the rights of Nazis and communists uh, and, and, and Palestinian terrorists. I've defended their rights, but certainly not supported their position. You would think any reasonably intelligent person would understand that. And others understand it. They just pretend to disbelieve it and still claim that um, I did it for political and partisan reasons. Um, some claim I did it because Trump must have something over me, something on me. Nobody seems to believe that you can support people's constitutional rights 
just based on principle. Imagine what they would have said to John Adams. Oh, the, the king uh, probably had something over you, John Adams. That's why you, you defended the people who uh, were charged with the Boston Massacre. We don't believe you actually uh, believe in the principle that everybody's entitled to a defense, even British soldiers. Oh, my God, what a terrible, terrible thing you did. No, I, I'm sticking to my principles. I'm going to always defend people on constitutional grounds without regard to which party uh, they belong to. I'm going to look to the evidence. And wherever the evidence comes down, uh, if I'm outside of the legal realm, I look to the evidence. If I'm in the legal realm, if I'm a lawyer for somebody, I resolve doubts in favor of, of that person. And I advocate for them. I don't lie. Uh, I don't misstate the evidence, but I try to gather all the evidence I can uh, support my client's uh, uh, position. That's the important role of a criminal lawyer. That's what Abraham Lincoln did. That's what John Adams did. That's what Thurgood Marshall did. That's what Ed Bennett Williams did. That's what Clarence Darrow did. Um, I'm not putting myself in their categories. I'm just saying that I follow very much in their footsteps and try very hard to emulate uh, their role of defending the Constitution, even when it means defending people that you thoroughly disapprove of or disagree with whose politics uh, you you oppose. Okay, let's see the letters. The letters will probably be primarily not about Donald Trump because I haven't spoken about Donald Trump. I'm sure tomorrow's letters will be about Donald Trump. Um, question from a previous video. You said George Floyd was murdered. I've read two different autopsy reports. One reported to no bruising injuries to indicate cause of death. Toxology tests showed phenytoyl levels many times higher than the fatal level, also meth and various other substances that caused his death by depressing his respiration. I know that argument was made and was presented to the court. I think there are still appeals perhaps pending on that. But what the policeman did in that case was inexcusable, holding him down, uh, using essentially a chokehold, um, uh, probably contributed to his death. Uh, but even if it turns out that he died from other causes, it would still be attempted murder. Um, actually, that's not so clear because for attempted murder, you need for him to have intended to murder him. It can't be a death uh, caused unintentionally even. It's interesting. Yeah, this is an interesting criminal law. If you kill somebody, if he dies as the result of your highly negligent action, like a chokehold, that's murder. But if he doesn't die, the same act is not attempted murder if there was no intent to kill. So it's ironic. Uh, the result, whether he died or not, may determine the outcome of the case. So I take back what I said. If he's not guilty of murder, if the policeman is not guilty of murder, then he might not be guilty of attempted murder. He would be guilty of a serious, serious assault of conduct, but probably not justifying the kind of sentence he got. But in any event, that wasn't the point of mentioning George Floyd. The point was that one person dying under these circumstances, filled with fentanyl, probably wouldn't have lived many years later. Terrible tragedy that he died. But one person caused a major reckoning in every American corporation, media company, university, curriculum had changed, uh, deans were hired, uh, uh, Diversity, equity, and inclusion became mandatory, all for one person. Well, what about a reckoning 
about Hamas killing 1,400 people, including Americans? What about a reckoning about how schools are dealing with their Jewish students? What about a reckoning about how Harvard and Yale dealt with Nazism in the 1930s? Uh, We don't see any reckoning. You can't have selective standards of reckoning. Okay. Somebody corrects me and says, doxing can also include exposing an anonymous person's identity. I don't agree with that. Look, doxing is not a word that goes back to Webster's Dictionary 200 years ago. It's a new term, and we don't know exactly what it means. But I don't believe it should include exposing an anonymous person's identity. But then the email continues. But the point of signing a letter or joining a protest is to make public declaration of your personal possessions. It's silly and cowardly to demand anonymity in that context. That's right. And that's why I, as a civil libertarian, demand that the names of everybody who signed any petition blaming Israel for the rapes, the beheadings, the kidnappings, the murders, those names should be made public and they should bear the consequences. If employers want to use that as a reason for not hiring them, God bless them. I wouldn't hire anybody who signed that. I'm not a bigot. I hired people based on not identity politics, not on their race or religion, but on what they agree with and what they said and what they didn't say. And if you signed a petition saying that Israel was to blame for the rapes and the murders, I'm not hiring you. And I hope others don't hire you. And I want to make sure your name is heard. And I would be part of the process if I had the technology and could do it, I can't, uh, of exposing you. Uh, That's a perfectly proper thing to do. It's not McCarthyism. We're not bringing out things about your personal sex life. We're not doxing you in the traditional sense of that term. We're merely saying you can't hide behind organizations like Amnesty International at Harvard or like uh, Students for Justice in Palestine, the most misnamed, no, probably the second most misnamed group on campus. The most misnamed is the Jewish Voice for Peace, which isn't Jewish. It has no voice and it's in favor of wars, not peace. The other is Students for Justice in Palestine. They're not in favor of justice in Palestine. They're in favor of injustice against the Jews. They don't want a two-state solution. They don't want Israel to be able to continue to exist. They support Hamas. And so, no, um, you can't hide behind those organizations. Alan, what is your opinion of what happened to Jenna Ellis for representing Trump as his lawyer? I don't like it. I'd like to see more of the facts. But I think the reason Jenna Ellis pleaded guilty is because she was subject to a long prison term in a part of Georgia, which is heavily opposed to Trump. And she just uh, did a calculation and decided that uh, she's uh, better off pleading than taking a risk of going to trial and getting a long prison sentence. But it depends on what she did. If all she did was come up with alternate slates of electors, that's the way you challenge a presidential election uh, under the Constitution. I'd need to know what she did. But in general, lawyers should not be prosecuted for representing their clients, even when you disagree with what they did in representing them, unless they crossed a pretty clear line. I haven't seen the evidence that would show me that uh, either Ellis or Mark Meadow or or, um, Sidney Powell, Mark Meadow really didn't operate as a lawyer, uh, but the others uh, crossed lines that would make it permissible to go after lawyers. I don't want to ever become the country that Shakespeare described um, in, in when he had his villain say, first, let's kill the lawyers. Uh, that's what Mao did. That's what Stalin did. That's what Hitler did. 
let's not prosecute the lawyers unless the cases against them are pretty clear. Lawyers are not above the law, but lawyers have to defend clients. And sometimes when they defend clients, they have to come close to lines as long as they don't go over the lines. Professor, you're making a lot of assumptions, I'm afraid. If you have a person with a gun in their back being used as a shield, that's not a willingness. It's force. Of course, that's what I said. Um, but I agree with some of what you're saying, what your assumptions, as far as you know, is, is, is not, is that we create reasonable doubt. No, it wouldn't. If I'm holding a hostage and the hostage gets shot by a policeman, the policeman's bullet enters his heart and kills him. The policeman is totally innocent of that crime if he acted properly. I, who didn't fire a single shot, am guilty of murdering that man by holding him as a human shield. That's correct. And that's what Hamas is doing. It's doing it forcibly as to some. Some of them are doing it voluntarily. It doesn't matter in terms of Hamas's culpability. They're guilty either way. Um, this is a strange one. Dirsch dropped Trump like a hot potato when it came time to push propaganda for his tribe. I don't know what that means. You mean I stopped talking about him uh, or I didn't represent him anymore? I represent people only once. I go with the news and uh, Trump was out of the news um, for weeks uh, following the um, uh, horrible events of October 7th. I don't apologize that. And by the way, I don't have a tribe. There's a little bit of a subtle inference of anti-Semitism when you're talking about my tribe. Uh, my tribe is uh, America, uh, the United States Constitution. Um, my religious heritage is is Judaism, and I'm I'm proud of that, but I'm not a tribalist. I would be attacking what was going on uh, in Hamas no matter what my religion was. I hope I would do it if I were a Muslim who had born in Saudi Arabia, but I know I would do it if I were a Christian born in America and not Jewish. So don't, don't accuse me of, of, of tribalism. Um, for next week, don't know. Don't know. Will Israel engage in a ground invasion? Don't know. Will more people flip uh, against Donald Trump? Don't know. That's why you got to listen to the Dirt Show. Because we never know, but we'll know next Monday, and I'll be right on top of it. And I hope you can order in advance my uh, my new book, uh, The War Against, uh, it's called, I guess, War Against the Jews, uh, How to Stop Hamas's Barbarity. It'll be out fairly soon, but you can, you can pre-order it. So thanks for listening and viewing. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.